anyway, well, uh, before we get into the, the Word of God this morning, um, I have a very exciting announcement for you all. Uh, after many months of searching for our next worship pastor, uh, I am elated to report to you that the search is over. Amen. I would like to personally introduce to you our next worship pastor, Abby Carr, and her husband, Andrew. Can you stand and welcome them as they come up on, on up here real quick? This couple. You, you, guys, you, guys, you guys can sit. Um, I just wanted to share a few things really quick. Um, You'll be pleased to hear that Abby is a New Englander. Um, she's from, born and raised in New Hampshire. We won't hold that against them. New Hampshire formal. Uh, New Hampshire formal. Uh, they, they are excited to finally make the, uh, the pilgrimage across the Portsmouth Bridge to the way life should be. And uh, amen? And so... Uh, she comes to us with, with so much that I'm personally excited about to add to our team and to our church, years of experience in, in leading worship. And um, she has her undergraduate in, in music, completed a worship school in Colorado, Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs, um, currently is uh, finishing her master's degree in seminary as a songwriter and a vocal coach and like all kinds of, of great, amazing things. Um, but what has me most excited and most settled about, um, about bringing Abby onto our team is that she just uh, simply resonates our core values here at New Life. And uh, in our first interview with her, um, it just felt like she fit. Um, and that, how many of you know that that, that when that, that fit, that culture thing is, is a big deal and it's something that you can't necessarily um, kind of make happen. And uh, I have full confidence that she'll not only steward the work of God that is clearly happening in our worship ministry this morning, um, but equip and to lead us into the future as we continue to grow, to help our kids and our students be full, fully devoted worshipers of Jesus um, I'm excited about what God is going to do in and through them. And uh, they're, they're in the process of closing out their chapter of life and, and kind of moving over the next couple of weeks. And so she actually starts on November 1st. Uh, November 1st will be like her first day on staff. But then the first couple of weeks, she'll just be kind of like being a part of uh, and watching and um, encouraging, supporting, integrating herself into the team. And then her first week of, of leading worship will actually be on Sunday, November 19th, if yeah. that's correct, that's a Sunday, Sunday, November 19th. And so um, we're just, I'm just so excited about, um, about what God has for us in this next season uh, of New Life Church. So if you wouldn't mind, I know this is like calisthenics, but could you stand and let's pray for them. <laughs> let's just pray for them. If you just extend your, your, your hands out to them. Um, Lord, I just thank you for this couple. I thank you for the gift that, uh, that you've really given us as a church in, um, in our worship ministry and our, our, our staff. Lord, I, I thank you for the gift that they are in, in this church. And I pray that, um, that we would be a place that for many, many years would feel like home and a place where they can just dig down their roots and feel like they're just a part of it even before 
they come. And so, Lord, uh, we thank you for that. I pray that everything that is of you, Lord, would just come to fruition. I pray that, um, that, that it would just be like your spirit would just continue to be on them. And uh, Lord, as, as Abby leads our worship ministry, I, I pray that she would stand on the shoulders of what has already been built here and continue to steward uh, the work of God. Uh, that, that you are currently doing here at New Life Church. I'm so excited. I, am, um, I, I can't wait for, uh, for us to move into this next season of our ministry. And so, Lord, pray blessing over them. I pray you'd work out all the details of the moving, as you know how hard it is to find places to live in southern Maine. Lord Jesus, help them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank Amen. you. Thank you. Well, um, I, uh, I, I want to kind of like get into the word today. We're going we're gonna to be in two different sections of scripture today, in, in Mark chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 4. Uh, and as, before we even get into it, I was, I was thinking about this this week, and I, and I might have shared this a few years ago. It was a, I was listening to a pastor's experience on a trip to Israel, on a tour in Israel, and... Um, he, he looked over and he tells this story. He's like, I looked over and I saw like there was a, a bunch of sheep in a field and there was uh, this man like, you know, behind the sheep, was the shepherd. He was like, he was driving the sheep from behind. And he asked the tour guide, like, hey, I have a quick question. Maybe it's just, I've never been here before. I don't know how much about sheep herding and stuff like that. He's like, but I had always imagined that that like the, the shepherd led from the front and the sheep followed, not, not like that the shepherd was like from behind driving the sheep. And the tour guide looks over at the countryside and he says, oh, that guy? He said, uh, oh, that's not the shepherd. That's the butcher. Um, and I thought, Wow. How often in life do I feel like I'm being driven rather than led? Amen? The Holy Spirit will lead you. The enemy of your soul will drive you. Um, and in a day where we put such high value in, in the church and outside of the church of being like highly functioning, driven leaders, what does it look like to be spirit-led? And that's the topic that I want to talk to you about today. Like the big question, the big question that I want us to wrestle with, and I'll come back to it at the end, is this. Are you being driven by the butcher or led by the shepherd? Why don't you stand with me as we read, the, read God's word? We're going to be in two gospel sources to really like drill down on what happened in this moment in Jesus' life. Mark chapter 1 verse 9 at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4 
This is the same story from a different vantage point. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan after being baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and and I can give it to anyone I want to if you worship me. It will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down here, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Lord, I I thank you for your word. I pray that as we look at the spirit-filled life of Jesus, um, it might even just resonate in us what it looks like to be led by the spirit here in our day, in our time, as spirit-filled Christians. Lord, make us, mold us, change us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, So let's recap. This is Jesus's moment. The entire Trinity is present in one place um, at one time, and there's a whole crowd that gets to witness it. Jesus gets baptized in water. He comes out of the water. The heavens rip open. The Holy Spirit descends visibly on him. God the Father speaks audibly and validates him and says, like, this is my son. I love him. I am so pleased with him. And the funny thing is, Jesus hadn't really done anything yet. Like, he hadn't cast out any demons. He hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't, hadn't like, preached any sermons. And yet, God the Father says, I am so pleased with him. And I know you're not Jesus, but can I remind you that God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance. It's based on your position in Christ. Um, You are not the accumulation of your past, nor are you the accumulation of your good deeds. Like, God's pleasure in you is based on your position that you have in Christ Jesus. So this is Jesus' like inauguration. Like, it's a big deal. It's it's, it's, It's a huge deal in his life. And all these people get to witness it. He is ready now to turn the world upside down, which he does. But what happens immediately afterwards? We read it, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read it again. He says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, God speaks, left the Jordan and was, catch this, catch this, led by the Spirit. Where? To a microphone? to a press conference waiting for him, for a, to his castle uh, or his kingdom that was already prepared? No. 
into the wilderness. <laughs> Mark's gospel says in verse 12, chapter 1, it says, at once the Holy Spirit sent him into the wilderness. At once. Like he comes out of the water and at once. I, I'm just going to say it. Holy Spirit, slow your roll. <laughs> like, this would be a day you'd want to like soak it in a bit, right? Like, like there's like babies to kiss and like hands to shake, autographs to sign. Like this is the big deal. Like Jesus, this is awesome. Like God spoke and everyone heard and the Holy Spirit descended. And he's baptized. Like this is, a, this is a day you want to kind of just, just like linger a little bit, just a little bit. But what's interesting to me is that the Holy Spirit had a plan in the wilderness in the wilderness. Now, I've been in the Judean wilderness. A few years ago, I took a team of uh, youth to Israel, and uh, we spent the night in the Judean wilderness. Now, most of you have probably never been to Israel, but I want to just give you some understanding. Um, it is not like the great northern Maine woods that I just went bird hunting in this week. Um, it's different. It's, um, it's more like a desert. We, they call it wilderness, but it's, it's much more like a desert. It's a beautiful place to visit. Got to watch the sunset and the sunrise over the Judean hills. I mean, it was absolutely amazing, but it is raw and it is harsh, and I wouldn't ever want to live there. It's a place to visit, but not a place to live. And yet this is the place where the Spirit immediately led Jesus to. In your notes, the first point is this, like, being led by the Holy Spirit means that he sometimes leads you into places we would not choose on our own. I'm going to say it again. Being led by the Holy Spirit means that he sometimes leads us into places we would not choose on our own. I often think that the Spirit-filled life means that God leads me where I want to go. Not so. Um, oftentimes being led by the Spirit means that I have to say no to myself so that I can say yes to where it is that he wants to lead me. Um, so if you find yourself in a place, maybe you're in a season of life where you're like, no, I can, I'm in a place I wouldn't necessarily choose. I'm in a wilderness season in my life. It could be that God has a plan for you there, even though you don't see it. And many times we want to get away from it or evade it or go around it. And God's like, no, I actually, I have a plan for you there, even though you don't see necessarily what I'm up to. Like there is a reason that the Holy Spirit led them, led Jesus into the wilderness at once. Literally, immediately comes out of the water. No time to, to, to sign autographs. It's like, go now, 40 days into the wilderness. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit did that, because whenever you are preparing for promotion, the Holy Spirit will begin a process of pruning in you. And pruning almost always hurts. It almost always hurts. Because our untested character will either limit our leadership or it will derail and be, lead to our downfall. Because promotion without pruning leads us to tripping over our own immature character. There are many times where 
our gifts can take us to a place where our character cannot sustain it. And so when God is preparing us for promotion, he, he puts us in a season of pruning. And it does hurt, but there's a plan in the midst of it. And if we will submit to the process of it, we'll actually find that we'll be prepared to, to walk further, faster into the calling that he has for us. So if you're experiencing wilderness when you were expecting a promotion, it's okay. Don't run from it. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you through it. To lead you through it. Because, because this wilderness is never a destination. It's a place that you walk through. It's a place you visit. It's a place that you, uh, of processing. It's a place of, of testing. If you think about it, like Jesus spent 40 days in, in this wilderness, and you rewind all the way back to the Israelites, spent 40 years wandering in this wilderness, in this desert. The wilderness was never the final destination for them, was it? It was in the wilderness that God was preparing them for their final destination, the promised land that they were destined to head to. But they had to go through the wilderness in order to get there. And they prolonged it, how? Through grumbling and complaining. There's nothing to eat. I've got all this quail. Manna, 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 manna. Manna for dinner, manna for lunch, manna for breakfast. I hate, I hate manna. I don't want this. All of their grumbling and complaining actually prolonged this process of going through the wilderness rather than expediting it through obedience and consistency over the long haul. Like, if you want to get through the wilderness, be obedient in the process that God has you in. And so, what I've found is that God will oftentimes lead us into wilderness journeys that are perfectly designed to expose our insecurities. Ever. I've witnessed this in my own life many, many times, that God takes you through wilderness journeys that are perfectly designed to expose our insecurities so that we can become more secure in him rather than ourselves, rather than our gifts, rather than our talents. And so Jesus is led into the wilderness for this divine appointment with who? None other than, could it be Satan? Verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Satan is literally waiting for Jesus. Talk about a horrible blind date. Like, he got catfished, right? Like, this is, this is not good. He doesn't know. He's like, oh, I'm supposed to go in the wilderness? The Holy Spirit's leading me into the wall? Okay, great. I'm sure God has great things for me in the wilderness. No, Satan's literally waiting there to tempt Jesus. One moment he is listening to his Father's voice as the heavens are ripped open, saying, in you I am well pleased, this is my son. And the next moment, he's listening to a voice from hell. Listen, the, the approval of heaven does not absolve you from the attacks of the enemy. Let me say that one more time. The approval of heaven does not absolve you from the attacks of the enemy. So if you're in a place where you're like, I thought I just got baptized. This was amazing. I mean, this is awesome. I just went on the men's retreat. God's doing amazing stuff. Like, I am a different person. Like, God's doing... It does not absolve you from the attacks of the enemy. In fact, many times, the approval of heaven and walking in new freedom, you're all of a sudden on the hit list. And, and, and you have enemies and opponents you never, you never had before. You get, you get kickback you've never experienced before. Um, so Satan's literally waiting um, 
waiting for him. And in fact, if for some of you, you, if you're going through a difficult season right now, like you're like, you know, I'm in a wilderness season, um, hear this. It's not that God's mad at you. He hasn't left you. He sees you. He, he, he has not forsaken you. In fact, um, he may be working something of your flesh out of you. Or he may be working something of his word into you. At least that's what's happened in my experiences, in wilderness experiences. Jesus tells this interesting parable about the sower and the seed. In Matthew 13, 19, he gives a little bit of like, like uh, explanation. He says, when, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. And I was asking the Lord, like, like how does Satan come and snatch the word that was sown in their heart? And I think it's because we're not holding on to it like we own it. Like when you own something, you lock it up. When you own something, you protect it. When you own something, you guard it. It is yours. When you own something, you will kick someone in the face if they come to try to steal it, right? Like, I care about your children. You come after mine, I will kill you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay. Why? Because they're my kids. Like, like, when you own something, when you know that 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 this is yours, you will protect it. Amen? See, and I think the thing is for us is that like God can sow identity into you. Like even you can hear the word of God, someone can speak truth into your life. But, um, but, but the reality is, is that it only comes through testing that you really reckon with that truth. We hear the truth, we hear the promise, we hear the word, but at that point, it's not into us. We haven't pushed it down into our hearts. So it's very easy for Satan to come and pluck that away because you're like, oh, that thing? Yeah, I don't, I don't really care. You can have that. Not knowing that that is your identity in Christ, not knowing that that is a key to freedom in your life, not knowing that that is, is, is the very word of God that God is wanting you to push down into your, your heart. But it's, if you don't own it, if it's, if it's not real to you, then it's easy to be stolen because you don't think that it's necessarily yours. Um, see, I think a lot of times we think that testing is a negative thing. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm, I'm no longer in high school. Like, <laughs> hallelujah. Like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't enjoy tests. There was no part of it that I was like, oh man, that was a, so, I, I can't wait for the, for the midterm, right? I love midterms. Like, that's so great. No, the reality is though, we think in our world that, that testing is a negative thing, but testing is actually an opportunity to prove that you know what you think that you know. Uh, many times when the word of God comes to you, you actually don't know if you've reckoned with it that you own it until it's been tested. You can't say, well, I'm living a, a, a life of victory in Christ unless you've had to overcome something. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of words, and those words sound really sweet until the crap hits the fan, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, the truth that I thought that I was walking in, the victory that I thought I was walking in, I actually wasn't holding on to it. I didn't own it. It isn't mine. And so I allowed it to be stolen. Rather than digging down deep and allowing it to become a part of me through testing, 
through trials, through the wilderness. Let me show you how Jesus does battle. Verse 2. You might have missed this. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, the most obvious verse in the Bible, he was hungry. And sometimes I think, when I read this, I think, man, the wilderness must be pretty bleak. No food. Like, man, there's nothing to eat in the wilderness. Like, there's not even berries. Like, my goodness. Like, he, he went into this wilderness and there was nothing to eat. But if you read it again, you actually read verse 2, you'll see that it wasn't that there was no food. It was that he made a choice not to eat food. It says nothing about, like, yeah, there's not even berries, nuts, no living creatures, not even a squirrel to kill. Like, nothing. It doesn't say that. It actually just says he ate nothing during those days, which means that Jesus was intentionally fasting. And if we're not paying attention, church, we will miss out on a spiritual weapon that Jesus was employing. It wasn't just about, oh man, that was really, that's crazy. Like no food, 40 days. He lasted 40 days without eating. I mean, he, he didn't go back and like go to Denny's. Like he, he could have just like got eaten something. No, 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 You're missing the point. Like Jesus was employing something that we, we really don't quite understand, I would even say, myself included, of a spiritual weapon that he was employing. I was, um, just two weeks ago, I went with some good friends to, uh, to Mexico, we went to uh, Roca Blanca Mission Space, and I met this father in the faith, Dwayne Kirshner, um, 79 years old. Him and his wife started this mission base that has grown and planted churches all over Mexico. Um, and I mentioned, I mentioned a couple weeks ago of like literally shaking his hand and like the Holy Spirit was so present on this man. I had to take a step back and I couldn't answer his question. Can I just, can I just encourage you in something, church? If you find somebody who's finishing well, pay attention. Ask them really good questions. So I, um, I asked him, he, he mentioned it more than once in our conversation. He's talked about fasting. And I got some time alone. We were just going for a walk. And I said, hey, um, can I ask you a question? I said, how important is fasting in your spiritual walk? And he looked at me, these blue eyes that felt like they were looking through my soul. He said, fasting? I don't leave home without it. I was like, wait. <laughs> um, if you want what everybody else has, then just do what everybody else is doing. But if you want what few people have, then you've got to do what few people are doing. Make no mistake, Jesus was doing battle by fasting. Fasting? I don't even hope without it. If you, want to, if you want to hear the Holy Spirit clearer, fast. If you want to be led by the Spirit, starve your flesh. You want to stop being driven by the butcher, and be led by the Spirit, I'm just saying, I'm going to leave you with that nugget, and, and you can let that ruminate on what it is that the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. Here's what I do know. There is something about this spiritual discipline, this weapon of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus understood, and many people have, have grasped, and I, as your pastor, still don't quite understand fully when it comes to the spiritual weapon of fasting. 
I'll leave you with that and move on. First, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, if, if you are going to fight temptation, you better know the weapons of your warfare are not your work ethic and your track record and your good deeds. Because let me tell you, Satan waits until you are worn out, hangry, unappreciated, tired, unsure, lonely, and at the end of yourself. And then he's like, perfect. Are you trying to defeat temptation by trying harder and disciplining yourself, or are you leaning into your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Like, the, the weapon that we fight with is our relationship with the Holy Spirit, folks. It is the only thing that sets you apart. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are through the Spirit. And so when we're in those places, many times we try to just muscle through it and do through our own willpower. That's what the world does. You have been given the very Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, and many times you just need to starve your flesh so that you can hear God clearer, so that he can lead you. Stop trying to do something in the spiritual by being driven by the butcher, in other words. Be led by the Spirit. Those are two very different things. And let me just tell you, the destination of those two are very different. Okay. Look what the devil says to him first. He says, verse 3, the devil said to him, if you, if, 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 look at that word, if, if you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. Now, I usually get caught up in the whole like stone to bread thing. Like, I'm like, man, wouldn't that be so cool if I could be like, you know, a boulder to a baguette. Like, that would be awesome. Like, I love bread. I love me some, some carbs. Like, I am not gluten-free, okay? I love those things. So the, the whole idea of just like, man, I could just like, wow, that would be so cool if I could just like take this and make like into a, a bowl or, you know, something to eat from a rock. I get sidetracked on that about the whole stone to bread thing, but... But what if that was not what the devil was after? God the Father, let me remind you, had just spoken days beforehand in front of a crowd audibly, this is my son. And isn't it interesting that Satan's first temptation says, if you are the son of God. Please understand this. He was not just trying to get Jesus to break his fast. He was trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity. Satan tries to get you to doubt in the wilderness what God has spoken over you in the waters. Let me say that again. Satan will try to get you to doubt in the wilderness what God has spoken over you in the waters. And he always begins with our identity. Because if he can steal that seed of our identity, we, he knows that we will never live out of that identity. We'll live out of whatever identity the world tells you you are. 
And so the, the, the questions that, that, that begin to ruminate in us, oh, you really think you're a new creation in Christ? I mean, what did you do last night? Oh, that's what a new creation does? Like, oh, you really think that you're filled, filled with the Spirit? Really? Satan knows that if he can rob you of your identity, you'll never, you'll never ever be able to live out of it. And so the world will tell you who you are. Oh, once an addict, always an addict. You know how it is. I mean, you really think that you've changed? Really? You're never going to amount to anything other than the accumulation of your past. And that's the truth, right? Now, can I remind you, Christian, do not doubt in the wilderness what God has spoken over you in the waters. So if you find yourself in a wilderness season right now, here's what I would encourage you to do. Well, first of all, fast. I don't know if I like that. I don't either. Uh, Fast. Um, You need to go back, start reading the journals. Prophetic words that people have spoken over your life, the things that he's spoken over you in the waters to remind you when you're in your wilderness that so that you don't, you don't doubt what he's spoken over you in the, in the waters. Remember who you are in Christ. Get into his word. Who does he say that you are? Because if Satan can steal that, well, he's already done this work. He's already done his work. So Satan first tries to get us to doubt our identity. And then in verse 5, he says, the devil led him up um, a high, to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, all will be yours. So what is Satan offering Jesus? He's offering him success and authority and worldly wealth and splendor and respect and all that. And isn't that our temptation as well? To think that like the world will give us better things than what God will give us? Like, maybe I do want it what everybody else is chasing after. Maybe I do want that. Maybe I got a taste of the glory, see what it tastes like. I, I, maybe, maybe that's something that I want. Maybe I want to run after that thing. And Satan says, all you got to do, one thing, all you got to do is bow down to me. That's it. Because Satan tries to get you to bow down to what is already under your feet. If you're a Christian, just know this. He's already under your feet. Why would you bow down to something that is already under your feet? He's like, I'm going to give you all of these things that he already has in God. Like, you, we don't have to chase after the things of this world when, when God, those are just false substitutes of the, of the real deal that God wants to give us. He says, just bow down. You're already under my feet. How can I bow down to that which is already under me? And yet that's our temptation. Verse 8, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I want you to see the two spiritual weapons that Jesus uses here. One is fasting and the other is his response is the word of God. Every word of God has the power in and of itself to fulfill itself. The word of God is never void of power, but it is often void of agreement. You don't have to make the word of God happen. We just have to come in agreement with the truth of the word of God and start walking in obedience to it and believe that it has the power in and of itself to fulfill itself. When you are under fire, if you're in the wilderness, you are under fire 
stick with the word of God, come into agreement with the word of God over your life. Because we will be tempted to, to twist scripture to say what we want it to say. We will be. We are, we are always faced with a choice when we're tempted. Am I going to, to twist or ignore scripture to say what I want it to say? Or am I going to come into agreement with the word of God and allow it to change me from the inside out? Am I gonna make it say what I want it to say or am I going to allow it to change me, change my outlook, change my identity, change everything about me from the inside out? It's never void of power, often void of agreement. Thanks. Verse 12. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I love that Jesus knew his weapon. Like, church, this, this, is, this is your weapon. Know your weapon. Clean your weapon. Don't put it away dirty. Clean your weapon. Do not let the enemy take your weapon. My greatest fear is that as I look, especially at the American church today, we have a bunch of these weapons laying around our house but they're never used, they're never cleaned, they're never opened, they're certainly not implanted into our hearts. Do not let the enemy take your weapon because either you can use this weapon to slay your enemy or if you're not familiar with it, the enemy will use this weapon to slay you because he knows it and he can twist it in a heartbeat. So Jesus is tempted, tempted to, to do the same thing that we're doing, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't doubt his identity. He doesn't bow down to that which is already underneath him in some hope of getting something that he already has in, 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 in his father. Like, he doesn't twist scripture to say what he wants it to say. He passes the test, amen? And how do we know that? I love verse 14 of Luke 4. Read it slowly with me. He says, Jesus returned to Galilee. Catch these words, though. In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Now, catch this. We go back from like verse 1 to verse 14, right? Jesus was led into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. But he returned from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. What changed? nothing earth-shattering. He simply followed the leading of, of his Father and the Holy Spirit. Like, he simply obeyed in the middle of the wilderness, and his obedience turned fullness into power. Can I tell you, many times we want power without obedience. We want the power of the Spirit, but we don't want to have to walk in obedience in the wilderness. But it only comes one way. Your obedience in the wilderness turns the Spirit's fullness into power. And I look around at the church today, like many Christians are spirit-filled, but they lack a spirit-empowered life because they refuse to walk in obedience to the Word of God. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't remove the, the whole idea, you know, you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but they lack walking in the very power of the Holy Spirit because they've tried to walk around and abdicate their responsibility to walk through seasons where God is, is, is actually wanting to prune them, refine them, so that they can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I just encourage you, stop waiting to feel like it in order to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I never feel like it. My, my flesh is always at odds with the Holy Spirit. 
I, I'm never like, oh, great, you asked me to do something that I want to do. No, he's normally always, the spirit is leading me to areas that I'm like, I, I, I wouldn't actually choose this. Like, you really, I, I, I have to do this? If you want to be obedient, yes, okay. My flesh always seems to be at odds with the spirit. But like every single one of us, there's this old Proverbs that says that um, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. If you want what few people have, you have to take a step to do what few people are doing. And all you have in front of you right this second is not a whole list of things that you have to accomplish and do and perform and be and earn and live out. You have a single step. A journey of a thousand miles miles begins with a next step. And so many times we just get so, so overwhelmed. Like, I don't know, I just think of being a Christian. I'm looking at all these other people. I want what they have. I don't know, uh, how am I supposed to get that? How am I supposed to do this? Like, I wish I could just go this and like throw it in the microwave, hit it for a minute and a half and be done. But that's not how this thing works. God's saying, I have a next step in front of you. And until you take that next step, I can't have you take the next step. This isn't a leapfrog opportunity. This is an opportunity to walk and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And many of us begin to wonder why we're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and God's saying, I actually just need you to take a step. So what is that for you? What is that next step for you? For some of you, it's like, you got saved, you just never been baptized. Well, take that step, sign up. I don't like getting wet. <laughs> yeah. Especially in front of people? Yeah, I know. Me neither. It's literally the first step of like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, it's the least, least comfortable thing you probably will do if you're, if you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you that, okay? You can't be like, yeah, I'm just going to get wet in a, in a tub I'm telling you, that is, that is a low-level step for what Jesus has for you in this, in this journey that he's got you on. Amen? I'm just telling you, sign up. Be like, oh, I don't know. Just do it. Maybe, maybe your next step is like, I got to break off that relationship. Like, even, you know that it's not, it's not good. You, you, God's been speaking to you about it, and you're just like, I know, but I know, I know, I know, I know, but it's just familiar. You go back to school, start that class, do whatever it is that that next step for you. Join that group, start that group, flush the drugs down the toilet, like make the call, sell it already. Like whatever that thing is for you, I just want to encourage you. I'm telling you, God doesn't just tell us to take this next step because he's a killjoy. He's like, this is an, a level of freedom that you're going to walk in and you're not going to see it because you don't understand it when you're in the middle of the wilderness and it feels like you're pruning and it hurts. And I'm like, I don't understand what the end goal is. And God's like, I know. That's why I'm just asking you to obey. And you'll find out in the obeying. And so I end with the same question that I began. Are you being driven by the butcher or led by the spirit? Like many times, we make this spirit-led thing into a whole lot more mysterious than it really is. It's just sensing God's leading and choosing to take that next step to follow him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Um... I'm going to end with this last thought. 
It says at the end of this, this account in verse 13, it says, when the devil, always, I've always saw this. I don't know if you've ever like, caught this before. It says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, the three temptations, it says, he left him, Jesus, until an opportune time. Isn't it interesting that the devil knows when the most opportune times for him to show up for temptation are? So when was that? When was that, those, that next opportune time for Jesus? I was, I was looking through the scripture. I'm like, all right, like, I'm sure he was tempted all throughout his ministry. I get that, right? But like, I think it would be when Jesus was at, was at the end of himself again. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is not good news. This is like, yeah, this is going to happen, guys. I'm not excited either, right? Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, rebuking Jesus. He says, never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter these crazy words. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And whenever I've read this, I'm like, man. <laughs> I mean, not only it's pretty, it's some guts for like Peter to like call Jesus out, say like, no, that's no, never going to happen. But Jesus rebukes Peter. He's like, get behind me, Satan. I've always thought man, that, that escalated rather quickly. Is, Jesus, is, is Peter like Satan incarnate or something? Like, man, this is like, this kind of surprising to say the least. I think he was actually, Peter's words were actually echoing Satan's temptation. And that Jesus knew that he could not even entertain the idea that Peter was suggesting. I think that what Peter was saying sounded really tempting to Jesus really tempting so that when he rebukes Peter he was actually saying Satan's attempt is not going to work to get me off course so what was that echo it was the exact same thing that he was tempted in the wilderness he was tempted to doubt his identity of what he was sent here to do to bow down to what was already under his feet. Well, maybe I don't have to actually go through all this suffering and death and go to Jerusalem and all this kind of stuff. Like maybe, maybe I don't have to go to the cross. Maybe there's another way. Like he was tempted to twist scripture to say what he wanted it to say. Like maybe there's another way. And Jesus essentially says to Peter, you're getting in the way of my obedience. Get behind me. I'm tripping over you. You're in the way of me being led by the Spirit. Man. It tweaks things when you realize, like, has him being fully God and fully man had his own fears and concerns about what he was called to do, why he was sent here. Those same, like, ah. And hearing somebody say, yeah, it doesn't have to happen that way. Maybe there's another way. It's like, get behind me. I wish that I looked at temptation the same way. Like, no, 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 I'm not tripping over you. Get out of here. I am not tripping over you anymore. I've been tripping over you my entire life. I'm about to kick you to the curb. Get out of here. 
You're getting in the way of my obedience. I want to end today with um, praying over our Dominican Republic team. If you guys make it up here, um, we have a huge Dominican Republic team that's leaving uh, Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Come right up here with me, guys. Um, there's 23 on our team, and I can't think of a, of a better way for us to, to kind of like end as we, as we talk about like taking next steps. Many of these people are like, I don't, you hear their stories like, I don't really know why. I just felt like God was telling me to sign up for this trip. I don't know what he has for me, but he's got something for me there. Here's what I know. Bringing 23 people could feel like wilderness every once in a while. There's going to be like grading of personalities and all kinds of things that will come up. Um, but I, I also know that, that God has a purpose in the midst of that. And many times it's that grading <laughs> that actually softens some of our edges so that we can be led by the Holy Spirit more. So um, I just want to pray. If you join me in praying, I'm going to be going on the trip too, so be praying for me too. But um, just, let's, let's just reach out your hands. Let's pray for this team. Lord, I just thank you for each and every single person on this team. I, I believe that you've called them for such a time as this. I believe that you have a purpose and a role, Lord, that you're wanting to do in and through them. And, and sometimes it has to do with the work that will get accomplished, but many times the greatest work is the work that's going to happen on the inside of us. Lord, I pray that this, this opportunity to go and to minister to these children in the Dominican Republic would be an opportunity for you to grow us, make us, mold us, and break us to look more like you. Lord, I pray that you would have your way, have your way in us. Lord, I pray that everything that is of you would come to fruition. Lord, I pray for giftings that we never even realized we had to come out. Lord, sometimes we get put in these wilderness experiences where we're outside of our comfort zone and we find things that we never realized God is wanting to work in and, in and through us. And so, Lord, I pray blessing. I pray for safety over this team. But, um, Lord, I pray they'd come back I'll, I'll come back all fired up and that fire would go and spread like a wildfire in this church. Lord, I thank you that every step that they take as they, take, as they walk onto, onto that campus, into, into those children's lives, Lord, I pray that it would just be like a, a ripple effect that would go throughout that land. Lord, I pray that we, the greatest thing that we have to bring to these kids is the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, help us not to get sidetracked in tasks, but realize that we're bringing your love and so, Lord, we, we send them. We send them to go in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good. Thanks, guys. With that, I love you. You're dismissed. Have an amazing week. Don't forget to pray for this team next week, next Saturday, through that whole week. Amen. God bless you.